Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to this episode and this post on my broader macro view of what is going on in the creator economy. And really, more important than that, at the highest level, what is sort of causing this great transition that is happening? And, you know, we've all been sort of through this intense year of 2020 with COVID, with the shutdowns, uh, with, you know, all of the effects that have kind of come from that. And when things were first starting to happen at the beginning of the pandemic, it was a little bit hard to know what was going on. I felt like I uh, I didn't have a compass. My theses were sort of up in the air, and it was kind of just a time to observe and pay attention. And I, you know, I didn't have that many specific uh, ideas. Like I just was kind of like I I don't know exactly what the concrete you know things are that I have to say right now. I don't know what the concrete bets are that I would make. Uh, even like public markets, I don't know what the companies are that I think are. I'm going to do well. So what I want to do is is I think that things have really started to synthesize for me and it comes from a mix of consuming um both some kind of like macroeconomic type interests that I have. I actually studied economics in college and um I really love that. I've learned a lot from uh Jeff Booth who is an author and uh, a founder, Adam Robinson who's a an investor, Ray Dalio who's been publishing a lot about the long-term debt cycle. But I want to actually bridge that to the creator economy. So my goal for this conversation or this post or this, you know, uh, little message that I'm sending out is here's my big kind of macro thesis to help you understand the context of what it is that is happening and how that's going to play out, at least my version of what I think is going to happen um, at the highest level. And I think to me, this framework helps me understand a lot of other things that are happening sort of as symptoms or sort of as, you know, um, just things that are come stemming from this basic idea. So again, I just have to thank, there's so many other people who've been sharing their thoughts that have, uh, really helped me develop this idea. So what is, what is happening? Um, we, entered this year uh, with the lockdowns and with sort of the stalling of the economy. And many people might hold this view that, whew, like, okay, the big shoe dropped, the thing no one expected happened. Let's just go back to normal. Let's just wait this thing out until we can resume life as usual. And I think that's a sentiment that a lot of people have and from my perspective, we are only at the very beginning. Like this is actually just the start. And so I believe there are many more large kind of shoes to drop, you know, metaphorically that are going to only happen from here. And what I mean is that we're really entering a transitionary period. And this is sort of, you know, with the writing of someone like Ray Dalio has been talking about and many others. And the transition period is from this very heavily debted, uh, you know, based consumer economy to an economy that's really driven by technology. And so there's this great book, um, which is The Future is Faster Than You Think, which talks about the convergence of a lot of different types of technologies that are coming out right now that are accelerating the future. So we're hitting this curve in technology that is just drastically accelerating. And so over the last century, we've been in a type of economy 
that has really been about consumerism and has really been about using debt to fuel consumerism. And what the shift is that is happening is technology is making things so productive that we're having more and more trouble keeping up with the jobs uh, that we need to have to have a fully employed economy. So if you think about, and this is an example from Jeff Booth, if you think about your iPhone, inherently that phone itself gave you massive amounts of time back. So let's look at, you know, it's a camera, it's a level, it's a calculator, it's a way of communicating via video, it's a way of researching anything you might need. And every day it gets better. Every day you open your phone, the app store is getting better. And almost everything about that phone is free. And so you have these technological innovations that effectively are compressing value. So all of the things that are, you know, in the Swiss army knife of a phone are all getting compressed into that $800. So whereas before you need to buy a calculator, you need to buy a phone, you need to buy a camera, you need to buy a video editing software, you need to buy countless things, even video games, you know, are free via the app store. Everything is compressing, uh, which is effectively deflation into a very small amount of capital to get this massive outsized return of, of you know, different value. And so we're in, entering this massively deflationary period where prices are compressing uh, because innovation can serve more and more uh, use cases for less and less money. Another example of this is if you look at company building, you've got uh, Instagram, which was 40 people when it was acquired. It had millions of users. And you're seeing companies compress. You need less and less people to create a billion dollars of value. Um, you've got companies that are one-person companies that can scale up into the millions, you know, and and we're seeing that kind of hit scale, you know. And another aspect of that essentially is that we're getting our time back and we're getting value from fewer places. So the other thing that's happening is this global competition. So if you think about, and, and the point I'm trying to make is how much value is being created by how few technological innovations and how much time that's giving us back, which is going to lead us into the conversation about what work actually is about. So let's look at Zoom for an example. The first thing is that Zoom you know, onboarded millions of new users over the past few months. It is a global company. So you actually don't need more companies than Zoom. If everyone just uses Zoom for their video conferencing, um, that one company of however many hundred people work there can serve as the video function for companies globally, for people globally. So Zoom can actually be the only company you need um, across you know multiple countries. So Zoom, while it's based in the US, can serve people in Europe, can serve people elsewhere. So we actually don't need that many video software companies. We just need a few and they could be small businesses, you know, or not small, but you know, hundred person, a few thousand people companies and, you know, serve multiple countries. So that's unprecedented. And if you think about what Zoom has done for you, and one way of looking at what Zoom has done for you is that if you used to travel for work. If you used to take 50 or 60 hours of your time to travel somewhere, to have a meeting with somebody, to close a deal, using Zoom, 
let's say that it takes an hour to have that meeting via Zoom, it just saved you 59 hours. Like if it took you 60 hours of travel, but it's a one hour call, Zoom gave your life back 59 hours. Almost, it's almost like Zoom gave you this gift. And, and the price of that was what, $10 or free? So here, this company in one country with a small number of people is giving every salesperson 60 hours back, 59 hours back, more. And the question, and this is the big question of our era that I think is how, not how people have viewed the world, but is where we're heading, is let's say you're that salesperson. Let's say you just got 50 hours of your time back. What are you going to do with that new free time? Do you even recognize that you just got 50, 60 hours back? I don't think that people are recognizing that. I don't think that people are recognizing that all of the things that you get with your phone, you no longer have to purchase. And, and you just got thousands of dollars back instead of buying all these different equipment. You just have one phone. You know, Zoom giving you so much time back. I don't think people are looking at it that way. And that's where Jeff Booth's kind of conversation comes in around deflation, where we can actually create a system in society where technology literally gives us time back. And I think that we've been on a treadmill of work for so long. Everything has been about adding efficiency, working more, you know, being more productive. And we've all been working longer and longer hours. You know, in, in certain other countries, they're working, you know, six days a week, nine hours a day. And that's been the model for achievement. It's been the model for work. It's, it's never, how can we work less? That is a foreign question to people. How can we work less? How can we use technology to give us hundreds of hours back to give us the, the cost of all these different things you get with your phone and compress it into $800 instead of $8,000? How can we use technology to, as leverage to get massive amounts of time back and massive amounts of money back? Things should be getting cheaper over time, Right. If someone can terraform a warehouse with a perfect yield on lettuce, you know, over time, that technology should make it so that lettuce is cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. But that's not what's been happening. Healthcare should be getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. That's not happening because of the system that we're in, which is inflationary, which is part of the bigger shift. Um, and and I think that's something that people should just research more on their own. But why why are all these prices going up when technology should be driving prices down? And then why are we working more when technology should be freeing us to to work less or to do different types of work? And again, I want to bring this to the creator economy. But I think the broader this this is sort of the macro view that I have is that we are transitioning systems from a debt based consumer system that's based on inflation to a technological deflationary system that essentially rewards um, saving because products get cheaper over time and you get more time in the future. You know, think about retirement. Everything is totally backwards. You work your entire life for, you know, potentially a few years at the end where you're no longer working. And in a world where technology provides us so much value, in a world where technology is lowering prices, in a world where technology, the invention of Zoom, can provide a product for the world at effectively a $5 a month price, 
you know, we should be getting massive amounts of time back. The invention of Zoom should be giving us 100 hours of time that we can now spend with our family or on whatever else we want. And so one system, the old system, the thing we've been on for the last century is the treadmill of productivity and work and always needing to fill our time with more and more stuff uh, and more and more work. The world that I think we have the opportunity to head into is going to look the exact opposite. Technology will remove more and more of our roles and duties and, and work we have to do. It's going to bring prices cheaper and cheaper, and it's going to give us more value for our money instead of having prices continually go up and getting less for the cash that you do have. So that's the backdrop. The big transition is from the treadmill to this sort of accelerating technological future. And that transition itself, and this is kind of the, the big component here, is going to be difficult. So the next shoe to drop is robotics, is AI, is accelerating technology that will further drive job losses. And this is sort of, you know, Yang's thesis and why we need UEI. There's a lot of other really smart tech people who are very concerned about um, jobs, you know, in the future, because if you only need one global video provider like Zoom or just a few of them, you know, there's not that many people that are needed to support that. If you look at Google, you know, as a company, that product doesn't really need all the people necessarily who, who work there for it to run. And you get incredible leverage with technology. We're going to get more leverage with AI. You just need less people for more impact. And that's what technology is doing. So, this transition is going to be a difficult one. And it's going to be a difficult one because it means the work that's needing to be done now will no longer need to be done in the future. And you might say, well, technology always creates more jobs. And I think this is where I think it's actually different. I think work will look different, but I think that the jobs themselves are not going to be created in mass from these new technologies because we're hitting a part of the technological curve that is drastically accelerating. So what's happening is we're all needing to transition off the treadmill into this sort of abundant future. And I think in the long run, that's a great thing. But in the meantime, it's going to be very difficult because there's going to be less and less things for people to do. Um, you know, here's another example, right? I, I have a podcast and, um, you know, that podcast has an editor, but there's this tool called the script now that will auto, it'll auto remove all the ums and ahs from your podcast. It'll auto transcribe everything for you. It'll auto create a uh, video that has text over it for you to share on social media. And th that used to be something I would outsource to a bunch of different people. I'd send it to a designer for the video. I'd send it to an editor for the editing, you know, maybe you'd even have people transcribing by hand. All of those roles are removed now. And so this transition is going to open up new opportunities for where people spend time and different places for where people spend money. And that's where we get to the creator economy. And the first thing to know about the creator economy is that more than ever, we're going to need communities that support us through this transition. It is going to be difficult. Jobs are going to be lost. Um, you know, new ways of figuring out how to how to create value are, are going to need to be found. New ways of connecting are going to need to be found. And that's where communities are so important. We all need sort of communities to help guide us from the treadmill to this world of abundance in that messy middle. So that's why I think communities are getting really important. 
I also think that there are new ways of ownership emerging. You look at companies that are sort of opening up um, and, and becoming community-owned companies and protocols, and that's sort of what's happening with crypto, is we need another way for people to capture value as companies form because of the way that companies uh, create and capture value today. All of all of the value accrues just to a small number of people. So what does it look like for the early adopters of, say, Twitter to actually gain monetary reward from being early users? What does it look like for companies to open themselves to be user-owned, to be community-owned, so that as these uh, mega-efficient businesses run and capture massive amounts of value and essentially become you know, mini-monopolies in their markets, how does their audience, how do their customers, how do their community actually capture some of that value and upside in the process? And I think that's going to be something to watch out for is work will look different because you'll get paid to participate. You'll get paid to use new tools early. Maybe advertising even flips and you'll get paid to pay attention to things, which is uh, like the company called Earn, which got bought by Coinbase, where they pay you to they pay you to learn. And that's actually a very profitable uh, feature that, that Coinbase has. So all of these things are going to be topsy-turvy. They're all going to flip around. The way we work is going to look completely different. And community, I think, is a big part of that support system. These new ways of working, figuring out how to use our art and our creativity to capture value, figuring out how to coordinate with other people in networks to unlock value, uh, figuring out how to build companies in a way that their customers capture some of the upside as the product itself scales. These are all things that we'll need to, to figure out. So that's what the, the creator economy is really about. It's figuring out how to make it through this transition. And that's where the role of these companies come in. That's where your role comes in. That's where uh, the creator economy comes in is how do we transition off of that treadmill? How do we change what we do so that as we get this time back and as technology reduces our prices, what do we do with our time? How do we exchange value? What do we value? You know, and we're already seeing it in the digital economy around skins. Let's say in Fortnite, you're buying digital avatar goods, right? Um, those are infinitely producible. That's very different than buying a physical product from H&M. You know, that's just a tap of a button. There's no infrastructure needed to produce that uh, produce that item. So once again, the whole supply chain is removed. Um, and people are going to start valuing things that you'd be very surprised that they value. Uh, they're going to start valuing digital status via these types of skins. They're going to uh, start valuing these non-fungible tokens um, that, that show that you're an art curator. And so again, I'm very optimistic about where the creator economy goes and how communities can support that, how new businesses can support that, how user-owned networks can support that. Um, but we are heading into the transition. So it's going to be a kind of a rough patch on the in-between, on the other side of it, I think we can, if we're able to conceptualize it, and that's the biggest thing is it's a, it's a mental quantum leap to say, what if the goal is for everyone to work less? What if the goal is to spread abundance, raising everybody's standard of living? What if the goal is to create a technology that reduces the cost across the board for everything? And that mindset shift is going to be forced into existence because it's just what's happening. 
Um, so anyways, I hope this makes sense to you as the broad macro view from the old system of chasing ever more uh, productivity and sort of you know, consumer growth to this new system of what does it look like to change what it is that we do from work because we've got so much of our time back, because we don't have to spend the same amount of money anymore to purchase the same goods, because prices are going down, because abundance is being created. And it is our job as guides in between the two worlds to help build that infrastructure. We need to build bridges from the old world to the new world. We need to build communities that help support us from the old world to the new world. And we need to explore what work looks like and ownership looks like and and even value exchange looks like in this new economy. So uh, that's it. That's kind of my macro view for where we're at. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have any uh, on this, you can always shoot me an email. You can hit reply to this. And I will continue to sort of build on this thesis over time. So I think it'll get more clarity. But I just wanted to share it because I think it's really important. I think there's a lot of sort of personal uh, and spiritual questions around this almost for how we interpret who we are as people in this new world and uh, very optimistic about it. But in the meantime, it's time to build as uh, Andreessen, uh, Mark Andreessen said in his, in his post. So thanks again and uh, chat soon.